You would turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Last time we read how the Apostle Paul chose Timothy, a young man in Lystra, to accompany him, Paul and Silas and whoever else was traveling with them on the missionary work that they set out to do. As the missionaries were sent out by the church through the Holy Spirit, remember we saw that on the first missionary journey that Paul was sent by the church and that Paul was sent by the Holy Spirit. And so the church and the Holy Spirit sends them out. And we pick up today in verse four as they begin this second missionary endeavor, second missionary journey, verse four of Acts 16. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Verse six, they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Verse nine, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, so after setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samoth. Uh, these words are difficult to say. Even if you practice before, they're still difficult. Samothrace. And on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were spending some time in this city. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate, uh, outside the gate to a riverside, where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Let's ask God God's blessing on our time today. Holy Spirit, we come to you. God, sent as a helper and a comforter, working in the hearts of men to bring conviction of sin and righteousness and of coming judgment. We are grateful for the gift, for the blessing that you are to us as you have worked in us. We know that you are the only perfect interpreter of scripture. And now we ask that you would help us as we come to, to understand the, the living word, the living word of the living God. We ask for your aid. Help us as we look at this text, help us 
to receive these words with faith and with joy. We pray that you correct our error. We pray that you would, would build and continue to build in us a solid foundation for our faith that is anchored in our gracious God. We pray for sanctification for your people. We ask that you would draw that lost sinner to Jesus Christ. Convict and save. Help them to know forgiveness of sin that is found only in Christ and announced only in the gospel of Christ. Hide this preacher behind the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been looking forward to this time when we come to address these verses, this text. It's always a wonderful thing when the Word of God challenges us, when, when we are going along uh, just happy, and then we come to a text of Scripture that, uh, that shakes us from our comfort and, and brings us to a position of biblically seeing something. And that's, I, I think that this, this text, now, now here's the way this works. If we're just here, then that won't do us much good. But if we submit ourselves right now to the, to the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, I think this text can, can bring us to a greater place in our walk with Christ as far as I can remember, I, I've been in church, I, I've told people since I was negative nine months old. Uh, I was born on the back pew, not, not literally, but, but practically, born on the back pew of the church. And I don't believe I have ever heard these doctrines that I will preach today. I don't think I've ever been in a church service where they've been preached. And now, now I've heard the verses around this preached. But the doctrine of God's sovereignty over the gospel, that I've never heard preached in a church that I have sat in. I, I know there are faithful preachers who have addressed these important verses, but for most popular evangelical churches, I started to say they, but maybe, maybe it's we. I hope it's not we when we end this today. Maybe we are more comfortable just focusing on the verses that, that fit our own comfortable sensibilities. Even in some churches, and the, the kind of churches that I grew up in would be considered more conservative, Bible-believing churches. But this text and the doctrines that we will see here don't fit the narrative. I grew up knowing from the preachers who preached, from the teachers who taught in Sunday school and various Bible classes that, that the gospel is for everyone. Now, now I'm going to say some more things, but just that part right there, we can say amen to that because that's true. The gospel is for everyone. But, but I grew up knowing from all this teaching that the gospel is for everyone that the gospel should be given to everyone. That, that if every Christian does their part in telling the gospel and, and does it well, then everyone can. And you almost get the idea that, that maybe everyone will be saved. 
I've heard preachers make statements as foolish as if I have more than a 30 minute flight on an airplane, I can lead anybody to Jesus. How foolish. We also knew growing up the way I did it, and maybe you have this experience too, that that if the gospel doesn't go everywhere, and if the gospel doesn't go to everyone, then something has gone terribly wrong. Something is sinful. If the gospel doesn't go to every person at every place. The problem with this kind of thing, the problem with this kind of teaching is that it's almost right. The problem is there's, there's some truth mixed there and the best lie is stuffed in the skin of a truth someone used to say. There's enough truth there, but it's not exactly right. And I, I want our, our thinking to be corrected today. This text teaches that God is sovereign over the gospel. Maybe you'd say, well, sure, we believe that. But, but here's the thing. God is sovereign over the gospel, gospel over the spreading and over the withholding of the gospel. God closes doors to the spread of the gospel. And praise be to God, he opens other doors. I've titled this message, Doors Closed and Opened. With these comments, I'm trying to prepare our hearts and our minds to be challenged by these scriptures today. We'll consider this text under three headings, three observations that we take from this passage. And these, these observations or these points will have immediate application to our day and immediate application to our lives. To give you the trajectory, where are we headed? Here's what we will see. God is sovereign over the gospel, both the spread and the withholding. Or God is sovereign over the gospel, both to spread and to withhold. Secondly, we'll see God's plan is always perfect to accomplish his perfect purpose. And then we will see the greatest need of all people is met in the gospel. So firstly, God is sovereign over the gospel, both to spread and to withhold. Verses six to eight, if you look and keep your Bible open, I would encourage you. If you look verses six to eight, there's a lot there. There's a lot of places and, and I would encourage you, not now, but at some point maybe to look in the back of your Bible where there's a map and see where some of these places are and you can see what's going on. I'm gonna to try to help you, but, but with all of these places, we can summarize verses six to eight with this. Doors all around, all closed. Doors everywhere, all closed. And, and this closing of the doors is antithetical to human reasoning. This, this does not make sense. When we look at this to our minds, Paul, Silas, and they've picked up Timothy now with the other traveling companions that they had. They've come all this way, traveling westward, traveling west. And here we find them, they've, they've just come from the east. So 
going to the east to spread the gospel, that's not the answer because that's back where we that's back where we just were. So east is not there. Um, Bithynia is to the north. South and a little west is what was known as Asia. Now this is biblical Asia. It's not the Asia that we know today, but it is a region where there were many cities and many people. There's opportunity all around them. North, west, south. They've already been east. Everywhere there's opportunity. And, and it says, though a giant sign hangs over all these places prohibited. And some of us would say, if we were there, and if we hadn't read this text, or give us some time till we forget this text, some of us will say, Satan has hindered the spread of the gospel. That's what's happened. Satan has stopped the spread of the gospel. That's the way we think, isn't it? The, the devil has stopped Paul from going to Bithynia. The devil has prevented the word from being preached in Asia. But look at the text. Look at your Bible. That's not what it says. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of Christ. God is attributed with this work of stopping the gospel being preached in those regions. Isn't that foreign to how we think of God and the gospel? God stopped the gospel. Now, now we can note some of the city names that are in these regions that were, that were prohibited. And, and we learned something from these names. Uh, listen and see maybe if you've heard these names before. Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Ephesus, Laodicea, Colossae. See, now we know the gospel came to those places later. We know the gospel was preached in those places at a later time. But here, now, while Paul and Silas and Timothy and the others are there, God stopped the gospel from going there now. Those cities were full of people. Some of us would say this, the fields are white unto harvest. That's biblical. That's, that's Bible language. And we would, say, we would look and we would say, the fields are white unto harvest. But God says, there's nothing for you to do here. This, this, this blows us away, doesn't it? There's nothing for you to do here. In, in Asia, in all these cities, in Bithynia to the north, there's nothing for you to do here. But, but they traveled, they kind of went along the north and, and skirted the, the sea and came to the city of Troas over on the western bank there. So they're in Troas. Well, if God has prevented us from spreading the gospel in Asia and Bithynia, surely we're in Troas, which is a good-sized city. There's many people here. Maybe, if Paul and Silas are thinking like some of us would think, we don't need to go anywhere. We've been prohibited from going all these places, but here we are in Troas. Let's just stay here. Let's just start a ministry here. Let's preach in this place. But Troas wasn't the place. 
Troas is not the place where the gospel is to be preached. God closed all the doors. God closed all these doors. Linsky comments, no work awaited them on this long journey. Nothing of consequence, even here at Troas. But great work awaited across the sea at Europe and southern Macedonia. This is one of the plain cases where the Spirit closes and opens doors of missionary work. He does so still, and we must dismiss the idea that we may choose the fields of our own direction and leave. We're going to get to the place where God opens the door. That'll probably be in the next message from this text. But somebody may be thinking, is this right? Does God actually close the door? This is, this is not, by the way, an anti-gospel message. This is a God's providence message. God's providence in the preaching of the gospel. But, but does God actually close doors on gospel preaching where there are people who are living and dying? Does God do that? Well, the short answer is yes, but we're going to take just a few minutes to see how we arrive at that answer, that God does close the doors. Uh, we're going to look in our confession. So keep your place. In your, there's, you need a lot of thumbs for this sermon. Keep your place in your Bible. Turn your confession to uh, chapter 20. If you don't have a copy of the confession with you and you have a hymnal, I believe you'll find it on page 681. And remember, that's the page numbers at the bottom. It's in the very back. That's not hymn number 681, but page number 681. Our confession, chapter 20. This chapter is entitled, Of the Gospel and the Extent of the Grace Thereof. Now, just a little history so you'll know this much of our confession came from and was copied from the Westminster Confession. This chapter is not found in the Westminster. This chapter came from the Savoy Declaration, and this chapter was probably penned by John Owen. So we have this as our background. Chapter 20 of our confession, and we're just going to read paragraph 3. It's all good, but we're going to read paragraph 3. The revelation of the gospel to sinners made in diverse times and by sundry parts with the addition of promises and precepts for the obedience required therein as to the nations and persons to whom it is granted is merely of the sovereign will and good pleasure of God. The nations and persons to whom the gospel is granted is merely of the sovereign will and good pleasure of God. Continuing, not being annexed by virtue of any promise to the due improvement of men's natural abilities, by virtue of common light received without it, which none ever made or can do so. And therefore in all ages, the preaching of the gospel has been granted unto persons and nations as to the extent or straightening. That is, notice that you might think that's misspelled straightening. It's a different word from straightening that we use. It means narrowing. It's a narrowing. So I'm going to read that sentence again. The preaching of the gospel has been granted unto persons and nations as to the extent 
or narrowing of it in great variety according to the counsel of the will of God. So the confession, our confession, Second London Confession states this doctrine that God's sovereign plan is that the gospel is preached in some places and sometimes, and the gospel is not preached in some places and sometimes. Could this be? Did the framers of our confession, was Owen, was Owen thinking straight? Did he get this from the Bible? Well, notice if you'll see those little numbers and, and the scripture references, those proof texts. One of the proof texts that we find here, if you'll notice, is Acts 16, 7. That's where we're studying today. This was a proof text that Owen used to make this statement. This is a proof text that those who adopted this confession said, yes, we agree with that based on Acts 16. But there's another proof text that I don't want us to miss. So I told you you're going to need a lot of thumbs. I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 147. I want you to see this with your own eyes. I want you to see Psalm 147. We're going to read verses 12 through 20. While you're getting to Psalm 147, let me just tell you, it starts, praise the Lord. And then it gives us all these reasons why we should praise the Lord. The Lord is worthy to be praised. And here are the reasons why Psalm 147 verse 12, reading through 20. Praise the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Uh, praise your God, Zion. For, that is, why do we praise the Lord? For these reasons. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed the, your sons among you. He makes peace in your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his commands to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He showers snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls his ice as fragments. Who can stand before his cold? He sends his word and makes them melt. He makes his winds blow and the waters flow. All of these reasons to, to praise the Lord. In verse 19, he declares his words to Jacob. Now we're talking about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel, saying the same thing twice saying it in a different way. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and judgments to Israel. Why should we praise the Lord? Why should we give praise to our God? Because verse 19, he declares his word. Verse 20, another reason to praise the Lord. He has not dealt this way with any other nation. God gave his word to Israel and withheld it from all other nations. God gave his word to Israel and for that he is to be praised. God withheld his word from all other nations and for that he is to be praised. His judgments, they have not known them and then it ends here in verse 20, praise the Lord. I told you this is challenging. This is challenging to our thinking. That God is worthy of praise because he has given his word and because he has withheld his word. 
it, it just occurred to me. We don't have to fully understand this. Someone just asked me today, knowing what we were addressing. Why? I don't know. And I don't have to know. And you don't have to know. We're not told why. We're just told that God did this. Praise the Lord. Let's go now to Luke chapter 21. No, Luke chapter 10. Verse 21. Luke chapter 10 is the only recorded place in scripture where Jesus rejoiced. Now, did Jesus rejoice? Absolutely. Jesus was not a curmudgeon. Jesus, Jesus uh, certainly expressed joy. But as far as recorded in the scripture, the only place where we see Jesus rejoice recorded in the scripture is here in Luke 10 verse 21. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced greatly. And I don't know about you. I can't wait to see what it is that prompted Jesus to rejoice. That's the only time it's recorded in scripture. He, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for doing so was well pleasing in your sight. Jesus rejoiced. This is the only time that it's recorded in two things. Let's rush forward where we want to go. We praise you. We rejoice, God, that you have revealed these things. But first he says that you have withheld. That you have hidden. If we're going to rush to the rejoicing of the extending of the gospel, we have to also rejoice in the hiding. We don't have to understand it, but we got to do it. What is, what is this doctrine? What are we talking about? Stated plainly, this is it. God owes man nothing, including the hearing of the gospel. God owes no man anything. And the gospel is necessary for salvation. We, we know by looking at nature that there is a God. And we can know things about God. We can know that He is orderly. We can, we can know something of the goodness of God in nature. But we only know of salvation in the gospel. And God does not owe the gospel to anyone. That's the doctrine. The extending of the gospel is only by God's will and good pleasure. And the withholding of the gospel is by his will and good pleasure. The withholding and the extending of the gospel both come from the same point from the same will in God. They both come from the same point and they both terminate in the completion of God's plan. The extending 
and the withholding of the gospel accomplish God's perfect purpose. Remember what Linsky said. This is one plain case where the spirit closes and opens doors to missionary work. And he does so still. We must dismiss the idea that we choose the fields of our own direction and leading. So we see here in this first place that God is sovereign over the gospel, both to spread and to withhold. And now we consider God's plan is perfect to accomplish his perfect purpose. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, Charles Spurgeon said the Apostle was like Abraham of old who went out not knowing whither he went. He went out not knowing where he was going. And, and isn't that, I mean, can't we see that here? Paul and Silas set out and, and maybe they had a plan. I hope they had a plan and I believe they had a plan. Maybe they had a plan. But what they didn't know is that their plans and our plans are subject to the plan of God. They had a plan. And by the way, if you don't have a plan, get a plan. Can I just say it is easier to turn a, a moving vehicle? <laughs> it, it's easier to turn a moving ship. It, it's easier to, to make a change when you find out, wait a minute, this is not God's plan. It's easier to get on God's plan if you've already got the wheels rolling. Get a plan. Got, not having a plan is just laziness and, and foolishness. So get a plan. But when we have our plans, we better hold our plans with an open, open hand. We better hold our plans and say, God, this is, this is where we think we're headed. Paul and Silas might have thought they knew where they were headed, but they did not know. God knew. God knew where they were going. They had plans, but the best of men's plans are at the mercy of God's plan. Too often we think God should get in on our plan. Now, it's not just you. This is the preacher as well. I think, I got this plan, God. You're going to love it. <laughs> this is wonderful. You're going you're gonna to not wait to get, you're going to want to get in on this immediately. And we think God should get in on our plans. But let us be thankful that God is in control and we're not. God is God. God's plan and God's purpose is always perfect. We may not know his plan. We may not know his perfect, his purpose, but we can know that God's plan and purpose is strategic to accomplish what he is doing. Strategic. Whatever plan God has for us is better than the plan that we would have for ourselves. Better than that. God's plan for you is exactly what you would choose if you had the wisdom and knowledge and if, if you had all that God has. God's plan for us is better than what we choose. One author wrote, we could avoid much worry and frustration by trusting our Father's wisdom and love if we just stopped there, that would be easy, wouldn't it? 
We just trust God's wisdom and love. Amen. Let's go. No, here's what he said. We can avoid much worry and frustration by trusting our Father's wisdom and love when providence thwarts our dreams. That's that. That's the hard part. That's the hard thing. When God's providence says, no, it's not going to be that way. God's plan is always perfect to accomplish his perfect purpose. We're going to move to verse 10, but before we get there, there's a shift that I want us to see. It doesn't really fit in the message, but I want you to see it, especially moving forward in this series of, of sermons as we preach through Acts. So we want to look at this shift and see what's happening here with Paul and Silas and Timothy and with the author of the book. Remember, we're in Acts, which is Luke part two. The author here is Dr. Luke, and we're going to look carefully here and we're going to look at the pronouns. So this is an English lesson for us. We're going to look at the pronouns. Uh, look at verse six. They passed through. Who is they? They here is speaking of Paul and Silas and Timothy and anyone else who was in their missionary group. That's they. Verse seven, they came to Mycenae. They were trying to go to Bithynia. Uh, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. They and them are plural pronouns, talking about more than one person, talking, and they're pronouns. And, and it's they and them are used when the person is speaking of a group of two or more and they are not part of the group. So here Luke is writing and he is saying they went here, they did this, and the Spirit of God prevented them. And he's speaking of a group of two or more and Luke, the author, is not part of the group. Now, look at verse 10. Paul has had this vision and then we read in verse 10. When he had the vision... We immediately sought to leave for Macedonia. Verse 11, we ran a straight course. And it continues, we, we, we. These are known as the we verses or the we passages of Acts. Now that is a plural personal pronoun, we, not the tiny passages of Acts. And I just said that for our Irish delegation. This is not the we verses of Acts like that. I'm sorry. So these, these we verses indicate something to us. They came to Troas, and by this we can understand that Dr. Luke was in Troas, and that he joined up forces here with Paul and company. So from these we texts, we recognize that the author here is not only writing a historical account as he has heard it and received it from Paul, but he was eyewitness to the things that occurred in the we texts. I, I don't know why that excites me, but, but Luke is there. I, I just, I can't, I, we don't, we're not given any detail. What must that have been like? I'm so excited for what y'all are doing. I wish I could go. Well, why don't you? Oh, well, okay. I'm going with you. And so these we texts, this is very exciting for me. So, so Paul received this vision, and, and, and we, we're in verse 10. This vision reveals the will of God. No to Bithynia, no to Asia, no to Troas, 
here's the will. This is what you've been looking for. This is what you're going to do. Now, we no longer have visions. Now, if you're seeing visions, let me just say, this is not the way that God is going to reveal his will to you. I can say that definitively. We have the word of God, the full, complete, and closed canon of scripture that reveals to us all we need to know for life in Christ, obedience to Christ. It doesn't reveal all you need to know about everything. The Bible will not tell you how to rebuild a carburetor on a 72 shed. But the Bible will tell you with what attitude you should do it. So don't think, well, I'm in a field of study or I'm in a field that I work in that the Bible has nothing to say. No, the Bible has plenty to say about whatever field or industry you're in. All about life and obedience. And that's how we see and know the will of God. In verse 10, though, look, when he had seen this vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This verb concluding gives us the idea that there was discussion. That there was deliberation. Not the kind of discussion and deliberation about are we going to obey God's word? Are we going to obey what God, not that. But let's make sure we got it right. The details are not here, but surely there was a detailed recounting of Paul's vision. Exactly what did you see? Exactly what did this man from Macedonia say? So there was a deliberation and discussion to know the details. The point here is that God spoke, but God did not bypass their minds. God did not bypass reason and reasonable thinking. So often Christians are looking for God to bypass reason and reasonable thinking, and God does not do that. Let me say this, normally God does not do that. And the very rare occasions that he might do that do not warrant us to expect all the time God to say things that sound like nonsense. Paul went to, the, to Silas and to Timothy and to Luke, we. And said, guys, this is the vision. This is what we have. And often I hear Christians say, God told me, God led me, God's sending me, God's doing this and that. I had a friend one time. He, he knew at this point in, in his life how ridiculous it was. He said, God has called. He, he said, God, he thought, had called him to sell everything they had and move to a place that they had never been to for ministry. If he had talked to some Christian brothers in the church, they might have said, brother, that sounds foolish. That sounds foolish. Maybe you should look. Maybe you should go there. Maybe you should test this. Then my friend said, uh, 
I stopped for gas at the first gas station. There was a homeless man there that asked me if I had any money. And I felt like God just told me, having all the money for everything that he owned, sold and had the cash in his pocket, God just told me to give it all to him. God didn't tell him that. My friend would tell me that today. God didn't tell him that. That was foolish. Here we have warrant for Christian reason. And we have Christian brothers and we have the body of Christ that we can, that we can live in so that we avoid such foolish errors. God spoke, but he did not bypass reason or reasonable thinking. So when we read the word, we need to be sure that we have understood it correctly, that we have come to the right conclusion. Back to our, to our points. God is sovereign over the gospel, both to spread and to withhold. God's plan is always perfect to accomplish his perfect purpose. And then finally, the greatest need of all people is met in the gospel. This Macedonian man asked Paul to come and help us. Come and help us. Help us. We don't have a lot of time. Today we hear missionaries say, we're going to go and we're going to do missions work and we're going to go help them. They need clean water. They need medicines. They need education. They need... Listen, I'm not denying those needs. Those needs are real. But the greatest need of all people is met in the gospel. If we send missionaries to, to bring clean water to every place on the planet, if we send missionaries to educate to a high degree every person on earth, if we feed and clothe all people on, in all the earth and we leave out the gospel, we have failed, church. The greatest need is the need that is met in the gospel. Let me just touch here. I'm, I, I'm off my notes, but we're going to say, I told you this was antithetical. The whole don't go here and don't go there. It all seemed antithetical to human reasoning to me. So this Macedonian shows up in a vision. So what do you think? We're going to get over there. First person we're going to see is going to be this Macedonian man, right? No. The first person they came to was a woman who was from Asia. Remember, remember Asia? <laughs> the Asian where you're not going to preach the gospel? The first thing they do when they get to Macedonia, they meet an Asian woman. This is, this is what God is doing. The gospel is the greatest need. Owen writes this. Listen, this is so good. No men in the world lack help like those who lack the gospel. No men in the world lack help like those who lack the gospel. A man may lack freedom, yet be happy as Joseph. A man may lack peace, but be happy 
as David. A man may like children, but be blessed as Job was. A man may lack plenty, yet be full of comfort as Micah. But he who lacks the gospel lacks everything that would do him good. A throne without the gospel is but the devil's dungeon. Wealth without the gospel is fuel for hell. Advancement without the gospel is but going high to have a greater fall. Some of you are living this life that Owen describes right here. Some of you are on that throne or are trying to get to that throne that is just the devil's dungeon. And you don't know it. You don't see it. Some of you are trying to gain and attain wealth. But without Jesus Christ, that's nothing but fuel for the fires of hell. Some of you are trying to work your way up. And you're only ascending to fall from a higher place. Lost man, woman without Christ, young person living in your sin. You are without hope in this world. Your greatest need is that your sin-sick soul would be made whole, would be made well. The only hope for you is proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, who is most holy, most good, became flesh, born of a virgin, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. This Jesus is the only one who ever has lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he went to the cruel cross of Calvary where he hung there as a sacrifice, as the atoning Lamb of God. And he died there on that cross for all those who would believe in him. He shed his life's blood for those for whom he came to save. And he was raised from the dead. Having died, he was raised from the dead three days later to prove that his sacrifice for sin was accepted by God. To prove that he had victory over death and over hell. And those who believe in him, this, this salvation cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It is only by faith those who believe in him. Those believers will not die in their sin, but will have forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. Lost friend, there is no better news. If you're waiting for something better to come along, there's nothing better. There's no better deal that will come. Jesus is the only way to life. 
Only Jesus Christ can forgive sin. Only Jesus Christ can save your soul from hell. Only Jesus Christ can give you peace within, can make you right with God. Your greatest need is met in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a hard sermon. It's it's a hard lesson for us to learn. We are so bent to react and to react negatively when things don't go our way or when things don't go the way we think they should have gone. Our candidate didn't win the election. The job that I just knew was the right job for me didn't come through. That, That career path that I've been going down seems to be nothing's happening there. Even simple things, like when we're rained out. You know, when the rain comes and ruins our plans, we react negatively. And and we react even worse when it's by the actions of another person that our plans get ruined. How dare you mess up my plans? This is a message of providence. Whatever plans Paul and Silas had, we don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what their plans were. It wasn't God's plan. Let us pray that God would help us to grow, to, to grow up in this area particularly. Let us pray that God would give us hearts that are satisfied with His problems. God, give us minds that will rest in your sovereign moving. Give us faith and growing faith that is deeply rooted in God's providence, in God's sovereignty, in his wisdom and his goodness. Have you thought about that, Christian? That's that's what we say when when we throw fit because God's providential hand has hindered what we thought we wanted. And I say we thought we wanted because that's not what we'd have wanted if we knew. What we want has been hindered and we throw a fit. And what are we saying? God, in your providence, you are not good. You are not wise. I mean, you make good to all those other things, but in here, you've been bad to me. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, then quit being a baby and throw a fit. You see what I'm saying? This boy, this is easy for a preacher to say. But see, I'm going to step down from here in just a, just a minute. And then we need to live this. That's going to be hard. That's the hard part. To surrender ourselves to the providence of God. Brothers and sisters, this, this doctrine, though, should bring us to a place of worship. I mean, there's a place for repentance. But this should bring us to a place of worship. Since God owes no man anything, including the hearing of the gospel, God owes no man the gospel. For those who have heard the gospel and received salvation in Christ, we know, we we already know that salvation is by grace. But have you thought about this? The hearing is by grace. The hearing 
is a gift. Now the hearing is a common grace because people hear who are never saved. But it's a common grace. So let us give thanks to God for his favor, for his blessing that he has given us in hearing. Let us never cease thanksgiving to our Lord and Savior for the eternal life that we have because we heard the good news of salvation in Jesus. Let me encourage you to remember to give thanks for those from whom you heard. Paul says this to Timothy. Remember from whom you heard. And who does he point to? Your mother and your grandmother. Christians, let us give thanks to God for parents who told us about Jesus. Let us give thanks for the preachers and the Sunday school teachers who told us about the cross and the empty tomb. And then let us be parents. Who will turn off the TV? I'm not saying there's something wrong with the TV. Who will close Dr. Seuss? And I'm not saying there's something wrong with Dr. Seuss. But, Daddy, you be the first one to say the name Jesus to your child. You be the first one to tell your children about his life without sin and his death and his resurrection. Do not let me steal that from you. The church, yeah, we, we will preach the gospel. You can bring them here and, and bring them here and teach them to listen. But you be the one let us be thankful to God that he has given us the gospel lost person you've heard the gospel today I, I made it a point in this sermon not to talk about the gospel because we talked about the gospel but to include the gospel and you have heard the gospel this is a common grace this is a gift from God that you have heard and if you having heard continue in your unbelief continue in unrepentance there is no other gospel Hebrews, Hebrews tells us there is no other Christ. There is no other Savior. There's no plan B. We don't need a plan B. This is the perfect plan. But there's no, no other gospel. The Bible tells us that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of the Father. That includes your knee. That includes your head. You will bow and call Jesus Lord. That is out of that, that is without question. The call of the gospel today is that you not wait till that day when it's too late for your soul. But today, now, let go of your pride and run to Jesus for forgiveness of sin and life in him. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would apply these words to our hearts. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work to bring conviction, not, not the worldly sorrow that needs to be repented of, but we pray that you would grant godly sorrow that leads to repentance. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.